Welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast. Another episode, and honestly, I cannot tell you just how wonderful this episode is. But before we get into that, I am your host, Gail Edwards, known as the Personal Brand Disruptor. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Lubna Zaru. Uh, the Action Accelerator is in the house. In the house. So the Entrepreneur Sushi Club podcast is a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi adoring entrepreneurs and honestly we've really hit the nail this week (laughs) they are showing you that success is all about having fun in and with your business without the hustle and bustle of grinding and slaying so who have we got with us today who has got me so excited today so today we have with us dr Ashley Wellman. She has been a professor and scholar specializing in surviving trauma since 2008. And her research focuses on cold case homicide and sexual assault survivors. And you might be thinking, oh my goodness, really? Yes, really, trust me. Homicide and sexual assault has never been such an interesting and intriguing topic as you will find out today. In 2018, her own life was transformed, unfortunately, after the traumatic and sudden loss of her husband. I love to hear how people survive after trauma. And knowing a little bit of um, Ashley's story, trust me, you will not be disappointed. You will be armed with resources and strategies on how, if you're going through something that you think you cannot get over, just how you can, because this trauma helped her to redefine her worth, her value, and her career that she's now used to create a magical life for herself and her young daughter. So now, Ashley is pursuing life as a creative writer with the upcoming release of her first children's book, The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, my friend Fresno. I'm looking forward to reading that myself. She believes that in order to move forward, sometimes you just have to rewrite the story. And that's exactly what she has done. She has rewritten the story to create a more magical life. So without further ado, let's get straight into it. And let's welcome Dr. Ashley and find out more about exactly how she's done that. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club, Ashley. Welcome. Thank you guys so much for having me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So Ashley, I don't even know where to start because there is so much in your bio and in your introduction, you know, surviving trauma, dealing with cold case homicide and sexual assault. That doesn't sound like a playground most people want to play in. So talk to us about that bit first of all. How did you end up there? One, I'm bizarre. I am a weird bird. I've always been drawn to macabre subjects because I've always found some kind of beauty in those dark moments. And so I'm grateful for that, for the way that that's actually influenced my personal life down the road. In a million years, had you asked me, would I be where I am today? I would have told you no. And it would have been a mixed no, right? Like I wish I wasn't where I am for some reasons, but I'm so grateful for how my life's ended up and kind of twisted and turned. But it started for me 
with a love of true crime, right? I'm just like a lot of other middle-aged women. <laughs> That's me. Lo- anything true story, crime, mafia, I'm all over it. Yes, and I don't want the fake stuff. I want the real oh, stuff, okay? Yeah. It's, like, it's like sushi. I don't want it cooked. I want it real, okay? So I want it raw. <laughs> so I've always been attracted to that. And then I was told if I was going to pursue that through education, that I had to be a police officer lies all over the place. But I believed it. I was 18. I believed it. So I actually went into public relations and worked at a Barnes and Noble, our big box bookstore for several years after graduation as a community relations expert. Right. And I got to do all these fun things, children's book signings, full circle. Right. Um, And so in that moment, I was started working with a law enforcement agency to sell children's books to them for this library that they were building. And I thought I should have studied that, right? And so I went back to graduate school at the University of Florida, got my master's, got my PhD. And in my PhD, when I was doing my dissertation, I had actually gone in, I said, I'm going to solve and teach people about solving a cold case and what the case structure looks like, right? What do the case files look like for unsolved murders versus solved murders and more of kind of a quantitative numbers thing. Anyone who knows me knows that's not my personality. (laughs) I'm a feeler and a storyteller and a lover of humans. And so as I was working in this cold case unit during graduate school, the detectives were amazing. They let me do way too many things I should not have been allowed to do. (laughs) I was interviewing people and looking at cases and helping process information. So this mother walked into the office and she said, I want to know what the hell happened to my daughter. Mm. And the detective said, oh, Ashley can talk to you, right? And kind of pushed me outside. Well, I talked to this mom for four hours and she was telling me, Ashley, you know, I didn't come here for answers. I think the reason they don't talk to me, right, the police don't talk to me is because they don't have any answers in my daughter's mm-hmm. murder. It's not solved. And she's like, but damn it, call me back. You know what I mean? I came for them to listen to me is all I came for. And so in that moment, I thought, wow, her whole like probably month and maybe the rest of her grief journey might be altered just by this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I thought, okay. I'm going to go research everything there is to know about the families of unsolved murders. There was nothing. There was nothing. And I thought, oh my God, this is a completely untapped area, right? Where their stories matter. That was the whole message that she had just told me. My daughter matters, right? My grief matters. Mm -hmm. And even though it's unsolved, right? And she may not be getting resolution. She wanted someone to hear her. And so I started using my platform back in 2008 to share stories, hear the stories of these families, and then work towards getting resources and awareness and different things like that. So for me, I was not the expert. I was just listening to their stories. They're the experts. And I was telling them in ways that people would listen, right? And for me, one of the safeties and the beauties of that is that I could always get back in my car and get home to my family and say, I'm so grateful. I don't know that kind of loss and trauma and pain, right? Mm. I'm very blessed. Mm. And then you can insert laughter (laughs) or or horror about, you know, okay, here I am. I'm purporting that I'm this expert in grief and trauma and loss. And I haven't ever experienced that, right? Which allowed me to be a scientist and be kind of away from that Mm. pain. 
And then for me, my life started picking up, right? The older we get, the reality is the cost of living is loss. And the cost of admission to play the game is that if you're really going to play it, you're going to lose on all kinds of levels, right? Personal levels, business levels, whatever. If you're risking your heart and your mind and your money, you're going to lose sometimes. Mm -hmm. But at least you did it, right? So in 2016, I was blessed. I was at a point in my life where I had just been tenured at my university. I had a beautiful baby girl named Reagan. At the time, she would have been two. And my husband was just perfection. His name was Buddy. He was so great. And we had decided, for me, I'm a planner. I don't know about you girls. Are you? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm a type A planner. Everything I've known from day one, the day I'd get married, how many kids I was going to have. You know, so I had always envisioned a table of four, right? It was going to be my husband and two children. And so in 2016, we started trying again and naively thought baby one was easy. Baby two will be easy. Well, it doesn't work like that, right? And we suffered between 2016 and 2018, four back-to-back miscarriages. And there's something about being a mother. And when you see that positive sign, right, your world is now transformed for the second baby and the third baby and the fourth baby and the fifth baby. And I got to this place where I was so unhappy. And I should have been so excited, right? I'm so blessed with one healthy baby. I've got a great family. My husband's great. My job, I'm successful, right? And that word just now enrages me. (laughs) What is success? It it enrages me the way we define what it means to be successful. Yeah. But I was failing in my mind as a mother and I wasn't really able to be living the life I wanted. So my husband's solution if you aren't happy, change it, right? Let's change it. Let's get out of this house where we have a nursery built that isn't being filled. Let's change jobs because I wasn't happy at work, right? I had reached the title I wanted and this quote security I wanted, but I wasn't happy. So I gave it all up and I actually gave it all up and started at a new institution in 2018 as an entry level instructor. I didn't even need a PhD to do it. And I said, it's okay. Because one, the title isn't what defines me, but two, I'm going to be on this path to get the next tenure track job, right? There had been a lot of conversation that that is the path, you know, from my colleagues, Ash, you're going to get the next tenure track job, come here. So I did. And I was pumped. And I was, again, my little type A self had my whole, you know, (laughs) year, I was ready from day, you know, minus eight, I was ready to take on the whole semester. (laughs) And the day before school starts at this new university. I heard glass shatter downstairs and I called out to my four-year-old. I had just left her with her dad. He was holding her on the couch and I called down to say, what broke? You know, and as a mom, I was furious because I knew that there was something expensive that she had broken Yeah, and no one answered me. And so I ran downstairs and Buddy was lying in the hallway, seizing, gasping for air. I panicked. Like I grabbed, I remember grabbing him and he was so cold and sweaty and still like looking at me gasping for air. So I just screamed and I ran upstairs, got my cell phone, come back downstairs. My four-year-old has wandered around the corner and sees her daddy, right? And she's, she's screaming, mommy, save my dad. And you're like, what's wrong with dad? And all I could do is I'm just screaming at the 911 operator, right? And she's telling me, Ashley, calm down. Is he breathing? And I'm telling her, I don't know if he's breathing, right? Because he's gasping and then not breathing, 
So when everybody gets there, the EMT ambulance people, they say, get your daughter, right? Your daughter needs you to calm down. I need you to go outside. And they said, he has a heartbeat. So he's going to be okay. And they said, you know, as long as he keeps his heartbeat, he's okay. Well, then another ambulance comes and I went, uh oh, in a fire truck and they jump out. And I said, does he have a heartbeat? Because that's all I knew is if he has that, he's okay. And they said he doesn't. And it was the first moment that I thought like, holy crap, the whole time in my head, after I had gone outside, I thought like, what am I going to say to him? And it's going to be like, you son of a bitch, don't ever do that to me again. And then I thought, I'm not going to get to tease him about scaring me, right? He's going to die. And so I chased them to the hospital. I followed the ambulance. I get there. They tried for 60 minutes to resuscitate him in front of me. It's horror. That was witnessing pure horror. And then the doctor at 4.30 PM pronounced him dead. And this whole world and this hopeful world, right? Like we had just moved. We were so excited. We had all these dreams in Texas. We're gone. And to me, I'm standing there. I'm like, okay, so the family I wanted, we kind of moved here to restart and reset and pursue another baby and a new job. Now my husband's gone. That dream is gone. And I have a grieving four-year-old sitting at home. For me... The only thing that felt stable was my job, right? Because I'm like, I'm good at one thing. Ooh, you know, I was spending the first couple months grieving with Reagan. I was so lucky I got bereavement leave for a couple months. And as we're trying to grieve, what's fascinating is my research started coming into play, right? Mm. And I thought I was an expert on trauma, grief, and loss. And yet living it, I was clueless unless I stopped and listened to what I had been telling people, yeah. get professional help, go get counseling, right? Grieve with your children and privately, all of these things, find something new. This is one of the things I tell yeah. people, right? Because yeah. when you lose, I don't care what it, how cancer, an accident, a baby, whatever, you are no longer the exact same person and your life is no longer the exact same person, you know? Yeah. And so society says, I want the old Ashley. Yeah. Is what they yeah. want. Yeah. 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 It's true. It happens now with COVID. We're going to go oh. back to normal. No, you're not. No, we're not. Well, the whole definition of normal exactly. is redefined. It's changed. Yeah. And it's exactly the same when we experience grief or loss. I felt the same when my dad died. Funny mm -hmm. enough, today is the anniversary of my dad's death. So I, felt, I felt the same when my dad died. I felt the same when my marriage broke up. Mm -hmm. I felt the same when I, too, experienced miscarriage, mm -hmm. miscarriages. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt the same when I had major surgery, you know, which resulted in me losing my organs, but in that way, you know, you cannot be the same. And that expectation yeah. that society puts on us, it's almost an attempt for them to be okay. To be yeah. comfortable. They don't like the uncomfortable. No. And so, you know, for me, I've lived the uncomfortable. I'm the girl that every friend, you know, like picks up and it's like, Ash, listen, this is bad. I'm going to need But <laughs> I'm like, it's okay. We're going to be okay. And I'm real good at helping other people be okay. Yeah. But, you know, here I am. And, and there's this, this feeling where, you know, where it's like, Ash, you've got a daughter. You better pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to get your feet on the ground. Ashley, you know, you need to be doing your research. Ashley, yeah. you need to be doing this. And I'm going... 
cool because I'm also like, I don't think there's a way to express the heaviness of a baby who's lost her best friend, right? Who's witnessed it. I've witnessed it. Right. And we're trying to, we're trying to survive, but damn it. I was going to be successful. And so in the midst of this grief, right, I started really focusing on, I want to make sure I get my publications out, right? I want to make sure that I'm a really good teacher. And so as soon as I stepped back into work, I really tried to say, this is my old playground. This is my space. And it was really hard because Buddy had been with me from the time I got my PhD. Mm-hmm. And so every institution I had been at, every class I had prepped, every research paper I had written, he had had his hands on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Somehow. And so here I am. And to me, I was growing and healing because I really was thriving at work. And I had come remember with this idea that I'm going to pursue this tenure track job. It got announced. Oh my God, the whole world, just like the sunshine was happening because I had gotten everything that my husband and I had worked, thought we were going to get right away in Texas. I got my daughter into this performing arts school that was audition based, right? I practiced with her in grief and get her into this school. And then I got us a home, which is, was really important for us. And then here's this job I moved my family for this is it. Like, this is it. And it's my stamp on the journey. I got excluded from the search from a small group of my colleagues that I don't think understood oh my goodness. the grief and the trauma. And I think they had said to the, something to the extent that I wasn't the woman that they had fallen in love with. <sighs> and it was, I'm telling you, talk about knock my legs out from underneath of me. The one thing I really thought I could grab onto was now gone. Yes. That was quote what I was good at. Right. Mm. And so I spent many months, this was last year. I spent many months going, if I'm not that, if I don't have this chance, right. Then what? Right. I'm not, we tell ourselves like we are defined by our career. Right. And that we have these titles that if we can't be that, then we're nothing. Yeah. And Then I had a friend challenge me. He had actually been the one to encourage me to start creative writing during bereavement, right? Mm Because he said, Ash, do something new. You tell people to do something new, do something new. And I'm an artist at heart. I am a creator at heart. And my God, I just love theater and painting and writing. But as a scholar, you don't really get to be creative, right? It's very systematic. I remember a college, my PhD mentor, right, for my dissertation, she said, Ash, you got to stop this fluffy shit. There is no room. There is no room for it, right? She's like, it's real pretty. It's real pretty. But you got to knock it out, right? This is for scholarly writing. And I remember I had a PR background. So I was like, ooh, let's make this sexy, right? Let's the words. I can imagine the vocabulary. So yeah, sexy. And she's like, no, dry and cold. Okay, do that. So Getting back to creative writing really did kind of bring that old part of me mm. full circle. And so my friend, as I'm in this rut and I'm just, my poor friends, I would call them all the time, just hysterical. Right. And I'm like, Oh my God, my world is falling apart. They're like, your world's already falling apart. Stop it. Right. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> and one of them, he challenged me. He said, you can do one of two things. You got to stop. You can either believe the narrative that has been cast about you, or you can write your own. And those are the only two options. Okay. And so he's so great. He's so great. He's literally one of the greatest humans in my life. And I said, Oh, he's right. He's right. 
And it was kind of easier to believe I was worthless in some ways, right? Like I was stuck in this rut, but it almost felt more comfortable to say like, you know what? Everything else has been screwed up in my life. Maybe they're right. Like maybe I just am not worth it. Do you know what I mean? And then I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, none of the facts point to that. <laughs> you know? Where's the evidence? What? It doesn't. So literally one of my friends who's also a, a scholar was like, go print your, we call them CVs, or, go print your resume yeah. <laughs> and slap that up on the wall, right? And then I was like, I don't get it. I was the top researcher. I don't get it. I was one of the top teachers. And she's like, screw them, right? Like, let's just do something okay. else. So, so literally, you know, it's like, it's, I made, I made my board of inspiration, you know, I, I started doing all, yeah, all these different things. And all of a sudden one day I said, oh my God, I tell my daughter, she can be anything she wants. Mm. And if I'm going to rewrite the narrative, what if it was the writing that I've been doing as a way to heal? What if that could be a way to thrive and not just a way to thrive for me, but Reagan, my daughter, could be a part of that journey with me, right? I love so it. This- Ashley, there are so many nuggets that I would love to highlight in Let's your do story. It. Let's do it. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause you. <laughs> because it's fascinating though. I've got to say it's fascinating. Oh, I want to hear more, believe me, but I can imagine that we need to take our listeners into a little bit of a breakdown of your story. Yeah. And, and there are a couple of things that I would like to highlight. One of them is, uh, and you said it, is that we identify with work. We just merge those two things, our identity and what we do as work being one. And when it's taken away from us, usually by someone else, because we're not Mm -hmm. in control of that, we just have an identity crisis and start asking ourselves questions. Who am I if I'm not X, Y, or Z? And I think it's very important. We've had a chat with one other guest on our podcast where we acknowledged that fact. And there were so similarities between your story Mm -hmm. and theirs that that is so important that I want to stop. And anyone who's listening right now, just if you're in the situation right now where your identity is merged with what you do, whether it's a corporate professional or you're you as an entrepreneur, know the risk that is involved by doing that. Who you are and what you do are two very different things. Another aspect I would love to highlight is your resilience. Oh, thank you. I mean, you were hit and they say when the shit hits the fan, it comes in every aspect of your life and you will be hit by multiple things at once. And it is how we respond to those situations. It will create the quality of our lives. I mean, gosh, I mean, cold cases, talking to the families in these situations where they're only looking for closure and they might never get it. Wow. They had so much hope. That was what really helped me, right? Is I could look back and I said, okay, these people have literally lost it all, right? That was the way I would think about it. Yeah. Because your family's, that's what really matters, right? That's what really matters. Yeah. And to have it such a violent and unexplainable and unnecessary death, 
right? That, and, and yet these were the people who, as I'm interviewing them, they're telling me about the nonprofit they started. So another family didn't have to suffer, right? Or they're telling me about this book that they've written um, to honor their child, or they tell me about the vigil they hold every year for homicide survivors in the area. And I'm going, wait a minute, you know, changing legislation, fights to change legislation. And I'm going, where do you find this energy, right? Because like, you can take time to just be miserable and grieve, you know? Yeah. And it was like, that wasn't an option. So many of the people I talked to, hope was mm -hmm. what drove them. And I think in my darkest moments, you know, it was this idea of I've, I can do two things. I can lie down and I can pull the covers over my head, which was very tempting. But I had a little girl who didn't deserve that. And she needed me to step up and be a authentic model because she saw mom very raw. I made a point, right? I had told survivors, you cannot grieve exclusively away from your kids no, because, right? Because then they think something's wrong with them when they're not perfect, yeah. right? So Reagan has been, for good or bad, Reagan's witnessed highs and lows and successes and failures. And I haven't really shielded her from it unless it's one of those like, you need to close the door. <laughs> but if I'm crying, I let her see me cry. And I let her know I'm missing, you know, I'm missing dad or I'm heartbroken about work or, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling scared. And I tell her those things, but then I also let her rejoice in the little moments of, mm. and I tell her how acceptable it is in the midst of grief to be joyful and laugh. And I think that weirds people out too, right? There was a moment at work that I was told, if you're crying, like the crying makes me uncomfortable. And then it was like, oh, also though the joy made them uncomfortable. Do oh. you know what I mean? So it's like, if I was joyful, that was also problematic. And so I think again, it's like, you're the widow for the short window. Mm -hmm. And I need you just to stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think I've been unapologetically like that can't happen. And I'm not gonna shield you from the reality of what grief looks like, society has got to get with it. You don't get to be comfortable all the time because life is happening around people. And I think institutions, particularly in America, I don't know if it's like this everywhere. Mm -hmm. There is not space for humanity. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's like you come to work, we don't matter. That's the other key thing, right? You really don't matter at your work that much. <laughs> so at these, at these higher corporate positions or institutions, right? Because we're very replaceable. And yet that does become our big identity that does become like, I've got to conform and do whatever I'm told and change who I am as a human being so that they like me. Yeah. And at some point it's like, you know what, maybe I am just weird and maybe I just don't fit here. And that's almost what inspired me to say, you know what, Ashley, I will forever be an educator. Yeah. That will never go away. My students have changed my life in ways they will never know, right? And yeah. giving me just as a woman, as a mother, as a scholar, my students are my, I call them my babies or my kids. And they're like, we're your age, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but they've changed my life. And I will yeah. always be that, right? Because to me, sharing and teaching is just in my soul. I'll yeah. always be an advocate, right? My survivors, I'm never going to stop wanting to have a role in, in having a voice and helping people have their voice. And my homicide survivors, some of them are like family to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that will forever be part of my life. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that those skills, like in my head, I remember in those dark moments, I thought, you know, I'm trained as a PhD. We're told the only route to success is a tenure track job. 
Yeah. And when you deviate from that, I've seen so many threads on Facebook and things like that of like, I know that I'm failing, but I can't get a tenure track job or I don't want a tenure track job. Yeah. And, you know, and it's this idea that we're not worth anything else as a, with a PhD. <laughs> no, but let, I mean, honest, I've had that similar experience. I've had my mm-hmm. managing director ask me, look, have you ever thought of becoming a manager? Because in their minds, it was corporate ladder is becoming management yes and I still remember that moment and when I said to her I said I know already I can already do it I just don't know if I want it right now want in my life Mm -hmm. and she was just shocked to the degree that four weeks later she basically said oh I'm not going to promote you to become Mm -hmm. a manager because you'll never leave our organization I'm like what what because I'm not following the path that you followed which for you might be great it might not be mine I just it's a discomfort in, again. Exactly. I just it know in this moment, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, mm-hmm. think, I don't think people understand that. No, they don't. <laughs> believe me. I was it's gone within six months after that one. So oh. I just want to tap into one of the other things before we certainly have to talk about sushi. Uh, make sure we do is that you used creative writing, which reignited your passion for the arts need in you and now you're not a phd or a scholar or a professor anymore you're actually a children's book author that's exactly right and i to be honest it's like i'm all of it do you know what i mean i'm all of it so i don't think we have to lose and shed all identities right no. we can kind of say like yeah, I can have a laundry list of things that I want to be, right? And so whether I'm in a formal capacity or not, to me, like I said, I'll always be that educator. I'll always be that scholar. I always will be in that pursuit of, of knowledge. Yeah. But it can shift. Yeah. And what I did is um, I took this from a little picture of my daughter dancing with her best friend who's a posable skeleton at age two, right? Oh I am a criminologist, so as, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, she took this prop from my office and she said, um, you know, this is my best friend, Fresno. She named him. And she said, you can't take him. And he became part of our family, going on trips, mm-hmm. taking naps, going to the theater with us. And I had taken that little picture and used it to kind of sketch out a children's book. I had contacted an artist, Zach Kincaid, who's brilliant. It's Thomas Kincaid's nephew. And he said, you know, I'm not an illustrator, Ashley. I'm an artist. And I said, I know that. That's why I want to work with you. <laughs> and so um, we were just kind of doing this kind of slow, casual, let's write a children's book, right? And then I called him one day and I was like, look, mm-hmm. I need you to step it up. I need you to trust me. Let's do this, right? Like I want it done now. And so we really started a you know, quick fast track of this book the girl who dances with skeletons, my friend Fresno. And then I thought, what if it's not just a book? What if it's a business? Mm. And so I marched myself down to the courthouse. I'm sure I had been sitting in my car crying about work earlier that morning. I marched into the courthouse and filed my little paperwork and I leave. And I'm like, I just opened Ray of Sunshine after my daughter, Reagan. So Ray of Sunshine LLC. And I'm going to launch this My Friend Fresno franchise. And so we got sketching and I made a plush doll and some puzzles and an adult puzzle, manuscripts two and three. And I said, look, if anyone can do it, right? I had people like, Ashley, your job is so stable, 
why would you think about that? Ashley, you're a single mother. You've got to make sure you have a steady paycheck. Ashley, right? This is very risky. Very few artists make it. And I'm like, that's cool. But someone does. Yeah. So why not me? There is someone out there who made it. (laughs) So why not me? And you know what? The other thing that because I have lost so much so quickly, my other thought is like, you know what? I'll survive. And what I now deem as success has changed so much. So financial success, particularly for people in like my parents' generation, right? Yeah. Is what means success. And like yeah. you were saying, the corporate ladder, right? Ashley, that title, that, that paycheck, that's success. Yeah. And for me, I thought you want to know what's successful and I'm still not quite there is a healthy, happy Ashley. Yeah. That would be success. Because she hasn't been that in several years. And as I've allowed myself to kind of return to the magic, right? And create these things, I have felt healthier and happier. And Reagan has seen this like dreamer come alive. And Mm -hmm. I've been able to include her in the process. And and she literally, she'll she'll do little videos with me to market my friend Fresno and she loves it. And- We'll go into like get some ice cream or gob, but we did before coronavirus, right? We'd go in somewhere and she would say, mom, did you tell them about my friend Fresno? Did you tell them? And then she'll go back up to the counter. And she's like, my mom wrote a children's book. You should buy it. Our website is, and I'm like, shh, shh, shh. Reagan. And then I'm like, you can buy it, but you know. <laughs> oh, wow. That's yeah. lovely. Cause you know, it's so important to, as you say, to show our children all aspects of human emotion, all of it. You know, I've been through it with my daughter too. And one of the things that I love that you said is that it was just that little aside, well, before Corona, we were <laughs> going to get ice cream. So no, because that, that's something we can't, we can't ignore. It's affected no. all of us. It's affected, you know, even our parenting because, you know, our kids are at home all the time. Um, it's funny because my daughter's getting ready to go to university. She'll be gone within the next three weeks, but she's been home almost 24 seven for the past six months. Mm-hmm. So it's like, gosh, how, how are we going to cope with that? But as you were saying before Corona, you were able to do all these things. So how has it been changing course so drastically during a time when the world has also changed so drastically? I love it. I love it. It's actually been incredibly permissive. I mean, there's been some kind of permission given by Mm. the world (laughs) to stop for a second. Do you know what I mean? And there was, I think we're, we're conditioned so much to go, 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 go. And it was a reminder. There has not been a stronger reminder of how quickly life can change, right? Like for everyone, because I know that, (laughs) but how quickly life can change, how little what we do is finite, guaranteed, stable, whatever, particularly in the university setting, right? So many universities have been closing down. So that quote, Mm. stable job, right? Isn't really that stable. The landscape has changed. The way some universities have treated faculty, there's this recognition amongst scholars, like we're really not that important. The paychecks from the kids are, do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. we're not that important. So the whole mindset one around academia is shifting, right? Where we're all a little frustrated. And then, (laughs) you know, there's this, this idea of like one, how flexible things should be. And they're not, you know, like being able to teach online effectively. I do a really great, my students right now, I hope would tell you, 
I do pretty good with Dr. Wellman, you know, like we're online, but we're doing good. But that fight of like, you can't do that because we need the paycheck. You know, like, yeah. a lot of universities are saying, no, my faculty will be in person. We almost were in person. And there was a, we used our voices and we weren't, we're online. But I think there's been that permission to slow down, to be changing. I guarantee you when coronavirus finally gets under control, maybe next year, that you're going to see artists and creators who never knew they were artists and creators come out of the woodwork. I'm grateful that I had started the process because I could use resources outside, you know, like outside to be kind of laying the foundation, but it's been great. I've been left alone. (laughs) I've been happy. I think space away from an environment that wasn't creating a healthy Ashley. I think that's been really healing and it's been confirmation that I'm okay. And that, I can trust myself to kind of pursue this new adventure. And there's so much excitement. I'm getting to plan things I want to be doing and being really creative about a virtual launch party and learning different social media tactics and things like that to connect with my fans, right? And building my fan base before Fresno comes out physically. He's available for pre-order now. So I've been able to launch him like a soft launch already And so it's like, nothing's really slowed down. I haven't been stunted because of coronavirus. In fact, I think I've just been inspired by the time. Wow. Oh, I really, I love that. And I think a lot of people have been inspired by coronavirus. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that you've shared just now is that we really, the world hit the reset button and hit the pause button and a lot of people are now experiencing whether they're the environment that they spend the most time in is the environment they want to keep on spending time in and whether that is a job or or entrepreneurship it really does not matter it is important to realize is it making me happy is Mm. this truly making me feel fulfilled or not and and, and it's never really the question happened. we ask. That's never been the question that we've been given permission to ask, right? It's like, I'm sorry if you're not happy. You have a family to take care of. I'm sorry if you're not happy. You're a mother. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, wait a minute. Exactly. If, if I'm not happy, I know that I was not the mother that Reagan needed in moments when I was just beating myself up and literally physically ill from yeah. emotional stress. Yeah. Going, is that, you think that's the mom she needs? It's not, right? And you think I'm going to be a good partner or I'm going to be fulfilled and be able to do my best work when I'm not happy? Because I can can answer you that question having studied the science of happiness. If you're not happy, you're not productive. You're not the best version of yourself. You're not doing your job in the right way. The chances are you're going to be making mistakes. So it really is extremely important that you feel happy in the environment you spend the most time with and talking about what makes me happy is sushi Sushi. (laughs) so i have to ask gotta ask that question we gotta ask i mean this is the entrepreneur sushi club podcast what is your favorite sushi and why okay it's gotta be raw rolls i can't do i can't do extreme like you know, just my, no, I can't do just the raw fish and I can't do fried cooked rolls. This is not going to happen. My favorite would be either a really fresh rainbow roll 
Or the lemon drop roll. So one that would have like salmon, avocado, lemon. I don't know if you've ever had that. I've never had that. It is fresh and delicious. Ooh, salmon, avocado, and lemon. Uh Uh-huh. And sometimes it has imitation crab meat in it too. So if you look for like that lemon, it's just like a little tiny thin strip of lemon. So good. I like anything that's a spicy roll. So like spicy tuna, spicy salmon. Love it. And then my most basic is yellowtail and scallion. Yeah. So basic, and it's so good. It's good. Wow. Mm-hmm. How were you introduced to sushi? I actually, I remember it was my friend Terry Levin had uh, taken, she was my parents' friend, and she's like, I'm going to take Ashley out for lunch. My parents are not food adventurers at all, right? We're meat and potatoes, Italian, like, you know, my mom's a great cook, but it, my dad's not going to be adventurous. So I really had never been exposed to that kind of food. And then um, my friend said, you want to be daring today and she was older and I got to hang out with her by myself you know and so she took me to this sushi restaurant and I said ew gross raw fish (laughs) right and so she let me start with the California roll which was delicious starter sushi it was very delicious I like the California roll it's my Um, my favorite I like it as basically it is it's my favorite (laughs) <laughs> yes. And then the rainbow roll, you know, you're like, Ooh, I'm yeah. beginning fancy with the California roll. <laughs> so, um, so I like that, but I remember tasting it and being like, I shouldn't like this. And I do. And then I really liked the little orange bubbles on the side of it, which were the fish row, you know? And I'm like, Oh, what? And so it was kind uh, of like, I liked it before I knew what it necessarily it was. was. <laughs> and then I was hooked. Ooh! Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's California is the ultimate favorite of a lot of our guests. Oh, yeah. To be really yes. honest, and another one that, that I love to ask our guests is if you, Ashley, so your personality were a sushi, what would the ingredients be? Mm. Ooh. And why? Why? And why? why? Ingredients? Yeah. Why? But I need to use real sushi ingredients or characteristics. Yeah. Real. Sushi. Real. Real. I definitely have some sriracha up in there. Oh, it's spicy. <laughs> love a bit spicy, of spicy, fiery, sassy, right? I'd have to have some of that. I would disregard imitation crab meat. I would not use it because yeah. I'm trying to be my authentic self. So I'd get rid of that. I'd say some salmon, a little bit fatty and, you know, sweet. And then <laughs> I would say like um, avocado, that just like rich, deep personality. That's what I want. I'm not financially rich. But that like, you know, that, that kind of just... Mm, almost yeah. meaty, isn't it? It's almost meaty. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I've got to put the little fish row on the outside because it pops a little bit of, you know, surprise here and there would get you right in the mouth. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Loving, loving that sushi. Wow. Do you know, I cannot believe, we say it every single time, but really, having said that though, we had an inkling that this was going to be a bit of a longer, (laughs) a longer one. So before we go though, Ashley, what would you like to leave our listeners with in terms of how can they get copies of the book when it's out? How can they pre-order? How can they connect with you? How can we hit you up, Ashley? Oh man, connect with me, please. Be a friend of Fresno, right? No matter where you are. I think the heart of Fresno talks about acceptance and self-love and valuing differences, right? It's about a little girl and her skeleton, something that should horrify us. But if we step back and we get to understand that thing that should scare us, it can actually be the greatest part of our life, right? Using that fear to just take a moment to understand it and get comfortable with it and then use it for beauty, right? And for Reagan, it's this relationship with a skeleton. But for me, 
that lesson's real too, right? Yeah. Yes, you should be scared to do X, Y, and Z. Just do it because there's so much beauty in it. So, and this, this realization that the things that make us different and that often set us, maybe make us feel excluded or not like we fit in, that's sometimes the greatest part of who we are. Yeah. So embracing mm -hmm. what makes us unique and what makes us different and celebrating people in our lives that don't look and act or believe just what we do, right? That's what this whole book's about. So if you're a parent and you are, are an educator and you need a book to talk about diversity and inclusion and love, it's The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, my friend Fresno. I can't think of a family who doesn't need that kind of message, right? Because it's so hard to talk about with our kids, but it's such a important and, and healthy conversation to have. So if you visit my website, www.myfriendfresno.com, not only can you shop and play, but you can also find resources, some fun activities, worksheets about talking to your kids about their friends and why they're the same and different and why they're special right? That's all on that website. You can also follow us on social media, any of the social media platforms at my friend Fresno. And if they want to get to know Ashley Wellman, the passion roll sushi. I love that passion yeah. roll sushi. The We've got the title roll. for the sushi in our cook recipe book. Exactly. I'm in it. I'm in it. Passion roll sushi. Yes. If you want to find her, I'm at www.ashleywellman.com or you can email the author, my friend Fresno at gmail.com. We will make sure we add all of those links to the description that goes with this episode. So if you're listening now and thinking, oh, that went really fast, don't worry. You'll find them in the description. Yeah, don't worry. And I will, the one thing I'd love to tell your listeners, you guys hit on it at the very beginning. The sun comes up the next day, yeah. right? And there's always the ability to write the next chapter. And yeah. if it doesn't work out, chapters end, the story doesn't have to. Right. And so just keep turning the page and keep writing, right? Whatever that story is, just keep writing your story because you never know how that book is going to twist and turn. The story of life is just going to throw in adventure. And yes, there's heartbreak. But again, when you feel broken and lost, it's because you had something to lose. Right. It's and it's like, oh my God, what would my life be if I hadn't had Buddy? And if I hadn't, you know, gotten Reagan and I hadn't tried for more babies, right? I might not be able to connect with a woman who I was able to help through miscarriages. Yeah. And what, would I have ever ventured down the path of being a creative writer? No, I would have never done this. So even in the midst of tragedy and trauma and brokenness, there's beauty and there's joy. But just like my friend Fresno, right? If you take a moment to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, then you can start saying, how can this be used for good and beauty? And how can I, you know, use this to propel my life forward? Because your story doesn't end, right? It doesn't have to end. Just keep writing and see where it goes. Oh, well, Ashley, thank you. I am definitely going to order the book for my nieces. I think they would be absolutely joyful to read it because they're both adventurous. So they would love that. And I would love to have you on our podcast next year. I can't oh, wait yeah, when I'm telling yeah. all about the business, you know, how it launched. Exactly. And how it I cannot wait. And I might be a different sushi roll then. Exactly. exactly. That's what we want to find out. <laughs> has your sushi changed? <laughs> oh, this has been so amazing. Thank you for giving me this platform to share my story and to connect with amazing people. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much to our listeners as well for listening to another episode of the Entrepreneurs Sushi Club podcast. Of course, as usual, we would like to know what has been your biggest takeaway? I mean, there has been so much in there, so many lessons, so many golden nuggets. So please let us know. Come and share with us in our Facebook group, the Entrepreneurs Sushi Club. You'll find a link to the group in the description with the episode notes. And also, of course, if you know somebody who will benefit from listening to this episode, please share it with them. Don't let them miss out. Don't leave them, you know, don't leave them in their trauma or in their discomfort or in their grief. Share it with them. Let them know there's hope. So that's it for us. Until next time. Have fun. Bye.